and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, your two-and-a-half-star co-host and moderator. <laughs> Joining me is a, a pretty solid three-and-a-half-star co-host, Lily. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> now, that was a test. I'll give you five. <laughs> And also joining us is a five-star special guest, joining us all the way from the great city of Melbourne, Australia. You may know him from his excellent vines, you may have been him playing Max Payne 3, or you may have even spotted him in an episode of Danger 5. Hamish, welcome back to the show. Hey, I got five stars. <laughs> That's a great rating. Does that, does that give me access to any kind of certain privileges? I mean, this is the second time on the show, so do I get like a key to the washroom or something? Uh, sure. Nice. <laughs> nice. Let me, uh, let me just send that to you. All right. You will be receiving a JPEG shortly. <laughs> of a key. <laughs> Finally, the internet's useful for something. A digital, a digital key I can use to a washroom, which is, what was it? It's the distance of the moon, apparently, from last time? Oh, yeah, yeah. What was, uh, hold on, I'll find it. I'll find it. I still have it here. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the math. I just remember it's like, it's a, it's basically the distance to the moon, apparently. One, one twenty-second of the distance of the Earth to the moon. Not, not that impressive, but still. I was that's ten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 10,542 miles. Wow, 16,965.7 kilometers. Yeah, that's a pretty good car trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, across the ocean. Yeah, it's fine. It's easy. It's easy stuff, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're 14 hours in the future, so uh, anything anything happen tomorrow that we should be aware of? Uh, Not really. I mean, our Prime Minister, Lord Dinosaur, is pretty good. Uh, flying cars are doing pretty well. Uh, you know, <laughs> shoes? They're banned. We can't wear shoes anymore. Eco really? <laughs> yeah, basically, it's the eco unfriendliness of it all. So no more shoes. That's wow, true. just a bunch of stinky feet. No, no, we actually uh, we've created new jobs, so we actually use children now to carry us to places, and they wash our feet. It's great. It's the future of the crazy place. It's a crazy. Finally place. earning their keep. Yeah, those kids getting born. God, they got to do something. They have to do something. <laughs> Sean will be very happy to hear that. <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this week we watched the first episode of Review, the hilarious Comedy Central show starring the great Andy Daly as Forrest McNeil, the host of a television show in which he reviews not food, books, or movies, but actually life experiences. The episode that we watched is entitled Stealing Addiction Prom. It originally aired March 6, 2014, and was directed by Jeffrey Blitz, who is the brother of Andy Blitz from uh, Conan O'Brien's uh, talk show, Conan and Late Night with Conan O'Brien. And uh, Jeffrey Blitz, he directed Spellbound. That was a, um, a documentary about kids entering a spelling bee. And he's also done a few episodes of The Office and Parks and Rec. So a guy with a lot of um, documentary-style directing experience. Mm. I feel like that definitely showed through in uh, the cinematography of this. Yeah. Mm. Very realistically done. It, it's interesting to see that kind of um, work. I mean, like, there's there's some really good people doing some really great stuff over in America. Uh, especially, was it? He worked in Parks and Rec as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Parks and Rec, I thought it was a great piece of work. But um, 
it's interesting how they translate those kind of things, especially with uh, this review concept of the show, uh, seeing it's based on the Australian one. And also for Parks and Rec, where it was like, it, they took the concepts and the elements of The Office and translated into their own version. But they didn't stay strict to the formula. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, and so as Hamish alluded to, this was actually adapted from the Australian show, uh, Review with Miles Barlow. That was uh, that was an Australian broadcast company production? Yeah, it was uh, the ABC. Um, it was one of those kind of shows that I think around about the time, I think it had Wilfred being made on SBS. Uh, around the same time, I'm just trying to work out my data. It's one of those kind of shows that uh, SBS or ABC, ABC uh, actually put together, and you don't really notice how funny it is until you actually put yourself, like, take yourself to actually watch it because it's one of those kind of odd shows which you see ads for it, and during this time you have a lot of different kind of review shows, and everyone, mm-hmm. you know, kind of assumes that this show is at face value just a review show. Um, but when you actually get past that and go, oh, it's a satire on just life and, you know, uh, piss take on all those kind of review kind of things. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's got a unique flavor to it, the Australian version, compared to the American version. Yeah, definitely. And, and as we go along, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit about some of the similarities and, and differences between the, the two versions. Because they, they do uh, certainly make it their own in the American version, which I'm happy about. I, I, again, I don't want to see another straight ripoff of another country's show you know right Mm. which is uh interesting because on itunes review in the description it describes it as raucously original even though it is a take on the australian version you don't want facts getting in the way of a good story um (laughs) but no like uh i understand i mean there's uh you take your what you want from the show and you make what you want from it because it's a very adaptable uh formula uh, yeah. Guess, again, like the office, with like you look at the office and Parks and Recreation, um, but it's it, it's good that you have uh, interest in this kind of stuff. I mean, we have um, certain things that are made here in Australia which don't tend to be translated well into uh, the American audiences, such as Kath and Kim. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> which which yeah we don't like to talk about, but yeah, uh, it, that was a huge iconic thing in, here in Australia, and then they made the American version. Yeah, I think they approach it from the wrong angle for the American one. I mean, you could have used the same sort of uh, structure and concept, but you, what they did was, I think, just raucously unfamiliar and completely... Yeah, it just, it just didn't work. It didn't gel as well. But um, something like Wilfred uh, worked quite well because it, the character is adaptable and you can just rewrite around that kind of character. The American version of Wilfred has lasted longer than the Australian version because I think the Australian version had like two series or something. But um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, uh, but the thing about it is that you know Americans have a different formula to the way they build shows to the Australian way. I mean, I think with Australians, you get we we work in the kind of the English formula where it's like you get either six, seven episodes in a series, and then if you're lucky enough, you have to kind of go and beg and plead for another series sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. I think with um, if you look at the difference between series one of uh, Australian Review and Miles Barlow, there's like I think a two three year gap between each series. He's only had two oh, series wow. and like a, a, I think a special too. And like you were saying about uh, Wilfred too. That's is it Jason Gann? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- what helped is him actually being in both series too. So you're not getting like a, a guy trying to copy the acting style of, of another guy to make the character work. I mean, this is the same Wolford character in both versions, which mm. is definitely mm. a, a helps the quality uh, be consistent. 
Yeah, it really helps for the fact that um, he didn't have to change his voice too. He's just being himself and being the character, so he didn't have to like you know try and change himself in any way. He was just himself, and they can basically take whatever they want from it. The American audiences, and it adds yeah. to the character because it, it he he it's already an odd concept and it's already an odd character, uh, but it works out really well. But um, yeah, if you try to copy something at face value, like they did with the IT crowd. If you ever saw the American uh, pilot for the IT crowd with Joe McHale in it, it didn't work out as well because they're just following the same beats and either because they thought, oh, if we just follow the jokes, maybe those are the jokes. And it's not. It's just the way the, you know, you have the director who has a certain idea in his head. You have the actors who are actually you know, responding to the jokes. And if you're just saying the joke yeah. flatly or just thinking like, if I just say it the same way as the other guy, it should be funny, right? It's not. But um, yeah, with review, it, uh, the way they've done it with the American version fits very w well with the American style and format compared to what they did with the Australian one. Because the Australian one is, in comparison to the American one, is a lot darker than... I definitely agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot darker because, you know, he the way that it's been presented is, you know, life can be a little bit... It's not easy in real life to review things and you know there's certain bleakness to what you're doing um and so you look at the two comparisons it's good i mean uh, you can actually look through i think uh miles barlow's work uh of the things he reviewed compared to things that uh andy daly can uh, reviewed and they have different angles of it you know it's same topic but different angles and that's a good thing about it because you have two different uh ideas of how to approach this kind of topic and what they see and what let's say the Australian version of it and the American version is. And it's really great that way. I mean, what they've done with the American version is just create their own uh, idea and concepts and presentation of what they want to do. And it looks great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this show, like the, the format of the of review itself, I think that's perfect for a guy like Andy Daly. If, um, if you're not familiar with his work, he's been in so many great things. Like, uh, have you ever seen Crossballs? Uh, have you ever heard of that show? No, I have not. It is a, it's like a fake cable news panel show where mm -hmm. people come and and debate certain topics. Right. And so, so Andy Daly would play this. Um, he was part of a cast of of comedians or you know uh, improvisers mm -hmm. that would pretend to be taking a hard stand on some crazy issue, and then they would have real people who were very passionate against you know that side debate them. And of course, they think they're in the middle of a real debate, but you got a guy like Andy Daly, you know, arguing some crazy view of some topic and just seeing the reaction of the real people. They can't believe that these people really exist. Of course, they really don't. That was a hilarious show that aired on Comedy Central probably about 10, 11 years ago. Hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that show, unfortunately. Out of all the shows I've seen, all the odd things I've seen, yeah, unfortunately, I haven't come across that. But um, I think I've seen a couple of times on. Uh, was it Comedy Bang Bang? Things like that? Yes. Yeah. So he'll make the odd appearance in those kind of shows. Yeah, I th he's he's got a a great comic wit about himself, which is great. Yeah, he, he's a good character guy. He's mm. good with voices. Mm. Uh, he never, like, he, he'll do stand-up appearances, but when he does, he plays a character. Mm. He, has, he does a character like Danny Mahoney, The Life of the Party. He's just like this angry guy that's determined to whip up everybody into like a conga line and everything. And very, but there's always a dark edge. All his comedy bang bang characters, they all 
want to commit suicide at the end of the appearance. That's why they're there. <laughs> it's like very, very, very strange. But there's he always plays like this straight-laced looking guy, very clean cut. But there's always this weird, dark, twisted edge to all of his characters. So I, I think that's why he's the perfect fit for uh, this show in this format. Mm. And they were talking a long time. Comedy Central wanted to use him, but they they didn't really have a show for him. They, there was talks for years that Andy Daly was going to get his own show, but then you didn't hear anything about it. And this show, Review, took a very long time to get off the ground. I guess when you create something like... Uh, you're taking concept from one guy to another guy. Yeah, it just takes a little bit of time to figure out which, you know, kind of angle you want to approach it from, really. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, looking at what they've made of the original concept, yeah, I mean, they've had to actually put a lot of thought into how they can separate themselves from what Miles Barlow's character has done and what uh, Andy Daly's character can do. Uh, so I think they did take their time and they've put something together which... It has um, their own stamp on it. You know, even though to Australian audiences, we know what this show is, but we've never seen it in this style of uh, format, which knows, it hasn't been, he hasn't presenting the show, and he has this kind of really chipper attitude, and he has was it an assistant at the beginning of the show, and he has mm-hmm. this, like, your graphics yeah, and everything bizarre. like that. Yeah. Uh, and with Miles Barley's thing, he, he has this presentation uh, style of a very... I guess you'd say a very harsh critic who's very educated in a certain way. You know, yeah. he looks like a guy who's been to university. He knows, you know, these ins and outs of, you know, linguistical language, we'll say. Uh, especially at the end <laughs> of it when he wraps up his whole review about a certain situation, like if it's like dealing drugs and things like that. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, it, it's that kind of standpoint where you can enjoy both of them because they both are completely different critics. And yeah. they both have a unique style of... You know, telling uh, telling their reviews and you know, uh, experiencing life, which is great because they both it doesn't one's not better than the other. They're both equally good. Yeah, agreed. Mm. Now, is Phil Lloyd the Phil Lloyd who played Miles Barlow? Is he known in Australia as a comedic actor or a, a stand-up comedian or what? What is he best known for? Uh, basically, the Miles Barlow work and the comedic work uh, on TV. Like you'll see him pop up as a supporting character. Uh, I'm. Unfortunately, I don't know if he's anything more beyond uh, the Miles Barlow character, because that was like his own work and his own show. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he basically pops up here and there. It's like that's what happens in Australia. Like you do something like a piece of work or a TV show, and then either you keep doing the same show, or you kind of get put into another show. Like you kind of get grouped together with other people. Uh, yeah. It doesn't mean that you know your work is bad. It just means you know you're moving around the, I guess, Australian televisual landscape. That's what we call it. Uh, but yeah, he, he you'll see him pop up here and there in a couple of shows. I think the last show I saw him in was this Australian-made show called The was it the Moody's we have in Australia. Okay. There's a show called The Moody's. I think it was based off... Uh, they did a special a couple of years ago called Christmas of the Moody's. It's just basically like a, a family comedy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So something a little more wholesome. <laughs> uh... <laughs> depends some of the subject matter within the show i wouldn't say is wholesome it's very australian and has a couple of um i guess awkward humor moments in it okay yeah but if you ever look out uh, look that kind of stuff up yeah there's quite a few australian shows which are cropping up here and there but like yeah you'll find that there's actors from one show appear in another show and yeah it happens around here in australia a lot more i think here in australia like in america because there's so many shows in america but in Australia, there's only so many shows, you know. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, I mean, it's lucky for Americans they get like so many episodes, and yeah, they can uh, water your concept down a bit. But in Australia, it's like yeah, we just have this very, I guess, tight ship of one series. You do this, this is a story, we're done. Um, but also for the fact that it, it's not as easy as getting one series and then another series because uh, I think like with Danger Five and like with uh, Miles Barlow, there were quite a few years in between series. It wasn't like you get one series in like 2000 and 2001, you get another series, and it wasn't like that. Yeah. It's always like you have a huge gap in between. The way we do TV here in Australia is a, is a, a a lot different to the way the Americans do it. Yeah. Would you say that like? Um... I guess our quote-unquote show business is bigger because there's so much being put out. Or maybe it's just, like, the the American, like, work 70 hours a week, never take a break, where it's very different in other countries. Like, whole culture concept of that is different. Yeah, I mean, I'll put it this way. Uh, we've I've seen Friends, and I've seen Big Bang Theory, and... <laughs> I've seen Seinfeld, I've seen MASH, uh, I've seen Hogan's Heroes. Let's put it that way. You you guys make a lot of content, and you do make a lot of shows, and it, lucky for you, uh, other countries will buy those shows and show them overseas. So, yeah, you guys make like a whole lot of shows and a whole lot of different things, and you also have pilot season over there. We don't have that here in Australia. We don't have like a, a pilot season. We just have... Here's the new show that's coming up on TV, and then they'll basically try and saturate the market with all this advertising for the show. But um, at the moment, I think here in Australia, we're kind of gripped in this, I want to say plight, a plight of cooking shows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I, I know there are a lot of people out there who love cooking shows, and they're amazingly excited about it. Like, you know, seeing another reality cooking show, or seeing another group of people fighting to win a house because they have to cook a cake and give it to the queen. Or something like that. I don't know. These are get, these concepts are getting out of hand. Um, I think there's another cooking show that's just been made here in Australia recently. But yeah, I mean, at the moment here, we have so many cooking shows. And I think our actual original Australian content is is slipping a little bit. I mean, if you, if you say uh, original Australian content is just any show we make, then we have a lot of cooking shows, a lot of reality cooking shows, which are coming out of Australia. Well, either we're <laughs> buying concepts and making them here as well. But... Um, yeah, it's it's hard here in Australia to, I guess, make a TV show because we're very we haven't got as many channels as America, uh, and the Australian industry here is a lot different to the American industry and the way you've got it set up over there. Now, how many how many cooking channels do you have? <laughs> I don't care. Just out of curiosity, I, I'm I'm slowly giving up on TV and going to streaming. <laughs> that's that's the problem now. Everyone's kind of seeing like there, there were so many cooking shows like, it's like i don't know why we need so many there it's 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 really hard to like if you pick one stick with it but then there's like one where you have to kind of battle because we have another one called my kitchen rules in australia and it's like you have people from different states cook dinner for some judges and the other people that they're battling against each week it's a concept which is hard for me to follow right now because it's like there are so many cooking shows. There's another cooking show where it's like they have a restaurant and then they have to cook a specialty meal. I just want to go back to the days where we used to have Iron Chef where it was just like one ingredient oh, yeah. and people yelling. That was it. Oh, the original Iron <laughs> Chef. The, the, original, the original Iron Chef. Thanks to SBS here, we had um, uh, the original Iron Chef, uh, which is great because that show was just it's spectacular. 
That was awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's got so much. We did have that here too. Mm. It's so good. But um, yeah, we like we. I don't know why we have so much reality cooking shows here in Australia, which is great. But yeah, I I there are only so many you can take before you have to kind of turn the TV off and go and get some real food and stop watching TV. Exactly. <laughs> I was just asking because we have. I think right now I have probably three or four cooking channels on my uh, cable lineup. Wow, if cooking channels, I, I, we just have shows and shows and shows just packed into oh, wow. our TV. Um, it, it's literally like in the middle of the day. It's like you'll find a cooking show with either some local celebrity. Then you flip to another channel. It's like you know the middle of the night. There's another cooking show showing you how to cook some salmon. Or it's like a guy fishing. <laughs> then he'll cook the fish and show you how to eat the fish. And then there's like... One of the other things I've seen a lot of, uh, those travel cooking shows, where it has a person who's just traveling around, enjoying life, and cooking a sandwich or something like that, and just going, <laughs> isn't that amazing living here in Morocco? And then you see him cooking up uh, some fish. And then they go, it's fantastic. And then the rest of the time, they're on holiday, just basically walking around places. That's yeah, a, yeah. That's a great life. <laughs> we have... um. A, bun- a series of shows where it's like people who are very successful will go to run down establishments and like give them a bunch of money and try to help them fix their place. Um, and my favorite, we have one in particular called Restaurant Impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's with uh, Robert Irvine. And my favorite thing to do is watch that show and then go on Yelp and look up that same restaurant he went to help. And like, it's, it's already out of business by the time it airs. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the Gordon Ramsay format. You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> we, we have like probably three or four Gordon Ramsay style shows, not including the three or four shows that Gordon Ramsay hosts. And it's just like, yeah, bar makeover and restaurant makeover and everything's getting made over. That sounds great. I mean, I'm waiting for the show, which is about, you know, people who go to, TV shows and say, all right, the story isn't working. We're here to fix your story. That's it. That'll be the new reality show. People fixing TV shows, which need to be fixed. Yeah, you know, <laughs> That'd be good. Like someone who walks into the middle of an episode of Lost and goes, look, the plot's going nowhere. It doesn't make sense. What's the polar bear <laughs> doing here? Let's put it together, guys. All right, let's put it together. And, you know, just that one guy who seems to be optimistic about everything. You know, they're like that one woman who's crying, another guy who's going, I just, I just don't know. I mean, I'm playing a character who's been here for like three weeks and I've only had like five lines, but you know, I, th- I think, you know, I think we've got a big things ahead, big things ahead. Next episode, he's kicked off the show. <laughs> <laughs> just, just give it time. The, we have so many bloody shows that are just being made out of reality. We have, we have too much reality happening at the moment. Well, I mean, like you were saying about our shows being watered down, I would say you guys have a, a much purer, concentrated array of humor and uh, reality and whatever mm. uh, than we, we do. And that's probably a better thing overall. Yeah, I mean, we, we do have this broad sense of comedy, and uh, it's lucky that we get allowed to do uh, certain unique shows from time to time. Um, unfortunately... With the success of most American shows, you do have a couple of shows here in Australia, which, you know, they, they try and follow the same sort of concept. I think even Home and Away and Neighbours, those long-standing shows uh, have had, you know, tweaks to the formula just because, you know, you see the American way uh, TV shows are done, then they kind of borrow that and then they, you know, alter the characters to add a little bit more drama or add a little bit of that kind of forced uh, romantic tension or whatever you want to call it. And that doesn't feel naturalistic. I mean, that, those mm-hmm. shows never did feel naturalistic in the first place. 
but there's a certain flavor that they've recently kind of picked up on and altering their show. So there's a lot of influence American TV shows have with uh, the content uh, that receive it, like, you know, Australia. We, you know, alter certain shows to kind of fit that formula just because, you know, it seems to have that kind of sellability where, you know, if you're not too complex or if you're not too local, then people will buy the show because they can relate to it a lot better. But, um, yeah. yeah, but you get some good, unique shows here in Australia, and unfortunately, they don't last for too long. You know, they come, and then they disappear. Um, yeah, like uh, this review of Miles Barlow. He had two series, uh, and I think a special or two, and that was it for him. Because uh, I don't think there's anything else on the horizon. Like, we don't have those things where it's like, you know, people get excited that, you know, another series of this show is coming out, and there's a huge gaggle of people for it. It's just kind of either silently comes out where people go, oh, there's another series of the show. Well, in America, it's like, oh, it's another series of The Flash. and Everyone gets hyped about it. You know, yeah, yeah. Go completely nuts about it. Yeah, Danger 5 series too. There was like, you know, years in between two series. And the first series became very cult classic. And then the second series, you know, was being made and produced. And it wasn't like, oh my God, they're making another series. It was just kind of like, if you're in the know, you get hyped about it. And then... Yeah, it's 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 different. The culture is completely different here in Australia. In America, it's just you guys get hyped about everything. So. Well, they throw so much advertising in our faces too. Mm. You know, that's a very big thing. And Comic Con now is getting more and more uh, broader in its scope. So I mean, we're getting like dramas and all kinds of things showing up at Comic Con. It's pretty much just advertising. It's all just chasing the dollars, really. Yeah, I did notice that there was a lot of um, more TV shows and a lot of. I don't know, just odd choices appearing up in the com- Comic Con for no reason. I, yeah. I, I guess, yep. yeah, you're right. It's chasing money, and wherever there's a lot of people, a lot of money, yeah, you want to get your face out there. You want to promote it as best you can. So, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you guys are lucky to have something like Comic Con. I mean, we have, I think the equivalent here is, I think we have uh, Oz Comic Con, which obviously isn't as big and doesn't sound as glamorous. And <clears throat> I think another one is uh, Armageddon. That's the other thing we have down here. That sounds pretty epic, Armageddon. <laughs> it, it does sound like it's something that's completely off the wall, but yeah, it's it's a comic convention. It's it's pretty good actually. I mean, for just local people, I mean, it goes around. Um, I think it's at Melbourne, uh, Sydney, Brisbane here in Australia uh, once a year. But um, yeah, it's not as big as Comic Con. I mean, you guys, it seems from what I've read, you have to set up. You have to set the whole year aside. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it. I mean, especially the the San Diego Comic Con. That's probably the biggest Comic Con we have in the U.S. Mm. And for us, where we are, Lily and I. I mean, it's it's three thousand miles away, so it's not really anything realistic. Right. Yeah. Like I'm I'm going to a Comic Con tomorrow in Boston, but it's it's like a splinter Comic Con compared to the San Diego Comic Con. But you said Stan Lee's going to be there. Well, yeah, Stan Lee's doing a panel. That doesn't mean I'll get within 300 feet of the panel with all the people flocked around. Oh, run up and give him a hug. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, true believer. (laughs) Ask him how Steve Ditko was working with. I mean, you know, those guys had a huge rivalry, him and Steve Ditko. So write down those notes, Lily. These are things you got to ask Stan tomorrow. These hard-hitting questions. (laughs) Yeah. All right, I'll... (laughs) I'll make sure. I think we've slightly <laughs> gone off topic on of review at the moment. Slightly, slightly. Yeah, well, so anyway, we'll we'll get right into uh, the this episode of review. 
for those of you who want to follow along with our discussion, uh, in the U.S., this show is available on Hulu+, Plus, iTunes, and the Comedy Central app. And it's currently, as at the time of this recording, it's currently free on iTunes. And due to the premiere of Season 2, uh, Season 1 is currently available on demand by many cable providers, as well as on the Comedy Central app. And uh, also, the Australian version is available on Hulu Plus as well. And uh, yeah, Season 2 just premiered uh, just recently, July 30th, 2015. Mm, and for us here in Australia, maybe we use puppets. And <laughs> we have a guy performing on stage. Maybe it's different. Or is it, what's the Mad Max sequel where the lady's showing the, the cave paintings to tell the story <laughs> of the pox eclipse? That's the third one, wasn't it? I don't even know. That was th- I think I it was Thunderdome, even... I think that one was. Probably, it's been so long. Yeah, he meets the kids and he's like, look, I'm not the pilot. Oh god, I actually <laughs> do know that. Oh. It's it's mandatory viewing here in Australia. Just Mad Max all the time. Oh boy. Alright, well let, let's get right into this episode. We have an opening sequence and we have Andy Daly playing the, the character Forrest McNeil and he explains the, the premise. He starts by telling the audience that whatever life experience you're curious about... I will do it and then review it. And pretty much the same as the Miles Barlow series. And so the format of this fictional show within the show is that the viewers will send requests for reviews to Forrest, and he has sworn that no matter what the request, he will review it. And so to begin any of these segments, he goes to the Review Command Center, and the character of A.J. Gibbs, played by Megan Stevenson, introduces his assignment. So Forrest goes into this really with high standards. He really thinks that he's doing good for society. He he tells AJ that if they do this right, they'll shed new light on what it means to be alive. Kind of a bold statement there. <laughs> what does it mean to be alive already? Because, you know, we all have different ideas about what is what is it like to be alive? What does it mean to be alive? Let's talk about that for three hours right now. No. <laughs> no I just always like that statement when someone says, like, you know, it's... Uh, Guess to understand the meaning of being alive. It's like, okay, go ahead. Have a shot. <laughs> Just stick to strictly Australian shows like uh, Tasmania. Did you ever get that cartoon? Oh, you mean the Tasmanian Devil thing? Yeah, did you... His show called Tasmania? Yes. Did you ever see that? Yeah, that was great. That was, we, <laughs> I'm sure that was ver- very culturally sensitive. <laughs> I think it's one of these things where it's, it's so far flung from the concept, but we just, you know, you can't be unhappy with Tazzy, Tazzy Devil. It's great. But it was weird for him to have a family and working in a hotel. That was the weirdest concept. <laughs> Not the fact that, you know, uh, Tasmania looked like this barren wasteland and well, with tropical trees and stuff like that. But um, no, just he had a job and he was working for the man and he had like a family. It's like, wow, they never covered that in the other cartoons. No, and his father was like Bing Crosby type character. <laughs> now, Taz, I, just, I don't know. <laughs> I just remember that. <laughs> and here's the thing. No, like, was it Bing Crosby's, like, by the time that uh, show came out, Bing Crosby was dead for quite a while, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I mean, for people our age, it had no meaning. No. Like, I don't know who it was for. Just the writers. Like, I, like, I, I knew it was Bing Crosby thanks to repeats of, you know, his work on TV. And also that weird Christmas special where he's singing with David Bowie. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that's, that show was fantastic. I'm sorry, again, we're getting off, getting off topic. Yes, it, it, I also have to say it made for a good Sega Genesis game. 
that came out as well. So <laughs> yeah, that wasn't the <laughs> one bad. good thing. That wasn't too bad actually. So the first segment of this show is stealing, and uh, I, lo- I love this where Forrest his first review comes from Mork in Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> And Forrest is like very surprised to hear the name Mork. He's like, oh, you don't hear that very often. And when the video plays, the guy's like, hi, this is Mark. And he just says, oh. (laughs) (laughs) And and Mark tells Forrest that he was thinking of stealing his mother's TV and and wondering what it would be like to steal something, whether the, the guilt would devour him from the inside or he would just like it so much that he would just lose interest in everything else in life. So Forrest just walks right off stage and and goes on to review stealing. So Forrest first tries stealing candy at the supermarket and uh, his old favorite malted milk balls. He's very hesitant, but he he works up the courage to do it. And he nervously exits the store with this exhilarated growl. (laughs) A barbaric yop, if you will. (laughs) Well said. This stealing segment is directly taken from the first episode of Review with Miles Barlow. Not so much beat for beat, but just the idea that he was going to review stealing and he was going to start at a supermarket or some sort of store, convenience store. And I think with Miles, it was a comb he stole first? Yeah, and here's one he stole a comb from, I think it was like just a, like a petrol station. Okay. That, that was pretty funny. Mm. Where he's uh, just using it at home, and his wife kind of makes a comment about it. A new comb? No, <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, 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 it's an old one. I've heard forever. But it, it, but it's <laughs> interesting, just off the bat there, like, you look at the two versions of how it worked out. You know, vastly different. Same concept, vastly different, you know. Because you look at Miles' life, it looks like he, he's dealing with his wife that he has, you know, it's, it's a little bit suspicious. But either, like, I don't know what, like, either his wife doesn't know that's his job... I'm not sure, because I haven't watched too much of the the Australian version, Mm. but I believe it's been said about Andy Daly's version that his wife doesn't know what he's doing. Because, I mean, not to spoil anything, but if you've seen season one later on, it gets into some personal issues with his wife. And to her, she doesn't know why he's doing what he's doing. And he's just so heartbroken because he's bound to uh, the show and he can't tell her why he's really doing what he's doing to her. Uh, so I, I think that's just something that he swore to the viewers. That's his his duty. And uh, yeah, his wife doesn't really know exactly what his job is, I guess. Because I think in the same way, uh, Miles Barlow's character kind of goes through a kind of journey with his wife as well. But um, yeah, but as you can see with both of them, it's the, the Australian one has like a, a darker feeling to it. It's, it's just that, yes. that part in um, uh, the pilot episode of Miles Barlow's one where he's looking himself in the mirror with the comb. It has that kind of weird, you know, sinister feel about it. <laughs> but, you know, he's, he knows what he's done, and it's kind of going to this kind of psychological drama almost. Now, Forrest, though, after he steals the candy, he really doesn't feel that much guilt about it. In, in fact, he's really, like, exhilarated. He, he said it was like uh, riding a roller coaster. And as a bonus, he also now has a bag of his favorite candies. <laughs> So he feels at this point that maybe it's just like too impersonal. So then we get this scene, which is directly taken from the Australian version, where he approaches an old lady struggling with her shopping bags in a parking lot. And uh, after offering to uh, give her a hand, taking her bags to her car, Forrest just says, sorry, and walks away (laughs) with the bags. (laughs) 
but yeah, that 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 was interesting to see those two. Um, that, that the copy of that kind of scene because they both have two different approaches to it. You know? Yeah, but they both do say sorry. But I think you look at Miles' one; it's 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 very dramatically him saying sorry, as he knows that you know this, um, I guess, addiction to a stealing is taking hold of him, and the way he just says like, "I'm sorry," and this you know moves away from her. It's yes. it's, it's so interesting. It's so it, it's still the funniest stuff to see a guy like <laughs> it, from from the viewer's point of view, we know what he's doing, but to anyone else who's just watching him, it's this. Just like either one of these characters, it's just like the most bizarre behavior. You know, he's just committing crime. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) And Miles Barlow actually asks if she wants to give over her handbag as well. I don't think Forrest does that. Mm, mm. I think, you know, Miles was trying to up his uh, stakes. Yeah, he's he's definitely more into it. Mm. But Forrest feels much worse now after stealing the old lady's bags. And uh, I love the moment now where he brings the groceries home and he sh- starts to share them with his wife and family. Uh, his wife is Suzanne, played by Jessica St. Clair, very funny comedic actress, and his son Eric. And they're looking at the groceries. Is that cake that says, Happy Birthday, Lorraine? It's just like, they don't know why he's bringing home like and a whole bunch of shredded wheat, things that Forrest would never bring home, and I think he even says about the cake, like, oh, they they, they had some extras, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> now, from there, Forrest wants to really step up the nature of his crimes, and we get this montage. He's stealing, like, everything he possibly can. There's, like, a tandem bicycle, uh, menus at a restaurant, uh, then there's an actual table that he picks up from a from a restaurant. I think uh, Miles steals, what, a, a chair from a, from a cafe or a restaurant? Yeah, he yeah. Those, a couple of things. I mean, like I think right at that point they start showing that they're trying to steal more and more stuff. Yeah. Andy's character steals a guy's hat at one point. <laughs> yes. That was, that, was an, that was an interesting <laughs> turn seeing that, like the weird gentlemanly way of the classic pickpocket, where he apparently stole a guy's hat and goes, "Well, if I did steal his hat, or if, you know, maybe you can have my hat." And he hands gives the guy the, the hat and then he takes his wallet. Yeah, asks to give him a hug. Yeah. <laughs> That's a different the approach of these two characters. It's like you know Andy Daly's character is very you know, he, he, he's a nice guy. He has this facade of a nice guy, but you know he's doing this rather malicious act to you by stealing your wallet and stealing your belongings. Yeah, Miles is becoming like a kleptomaniac. Yeah, but but Forrest is becoming like a sociopath. Like he'll smile to your face and, and steal your wallet right out of your pocket. Yeah, and when he went to <laughs> was the the jewelry store and he he. he does that whole thing like, oh, is that Justin Bieber or is that a woman over there? No, it's actually him. <laughs> that whole setup. God. Yeah, he just reaches right over the counter, pulls out a pearl necklace, and because it's that easy to rob a jewelry yeah. store. <laughs> and then from there, he goes right into a, a police car. Oh yeah. So Forrest gets away with all these crimes, which is something that Miles does too. There's really no repercussions, mm. and. He decides that he's going to try to get away with his biggest plan yet, and that's robbing a bank. So Forrest decides to use the review offices as a staging ground to to plan the heist. He's practicing with his executive assistant, Lucille, played by Tara Carcian, and Josh, the hapless office intern, played by Michael Croner. And I just love the the practicing, you know, what they're gonna what he's gonna say to the to the people at the bank. And they're waving their guns around, it, and the the uh, the cleaning lady comes in, and they have to kind of stop for a moment. 
Yeah, I love how one of them goes, gracias, and then the cleaning lady goes, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's one interesting thing about the the two different versions. While uh, Miles seems to be doing things on his own uh, and dealing with these situations on his own, uh, you actually see with Andy Daly's side of the story, he actually has an office and he actually has a team of guys. Like he has his assistant and he has the other woman and he's those are the uh, receptionist. And you actually get to see the offices of the review. I think of Miles one, you don't really get to see like you don't have those kind of interactions with the characters. It's just basically yeah. Miles taking the question, going, okay, and he goes off to deal with the review. Uh and it's interesting because like yeah, it's just the flavor of it where you have actually have in the American version roped in more characters. So it gives more context to what's going on. He's able to bounce off other people. Which I think plays to Andy Daly's strengths, too. Mm, mm. And plus, it gives it a kind of idea where it's like, nobody at any point says, this is a bad idea. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's very yeah. true. Because <laughs> um, in Miles' one, it feels like a guy who's determined to get to the bottom of a review and keep working towards a goal. And he, just let, he lets the, um, the topic affect him. While you see with... Andy's side, it's just like, he, he keeps talking to people by his team and going, you know, especially one way he's you know, dealing doing drugs and he gets his assistant to get drugs for him. No one says, like, you should stop this. This is a bad idea. Don't go any further. Beyond his wife, I think. Uh, yeah, it, it's strange that, you know, all these people are just going, yeah, let's do this. Let's all work together for this goal, even though it's dangerous. <laughs> so after they all practice, they, they drive to the bank and uh, they put on some of uh, Lucille's freshly worn stockings because <laughs> they didn't have any uh, on hand. And uh, they head into the bank. And so you think that what you're going to see is them acting out exactly what they planned to do. The second that they step in, the guard yells, drop your weapon and just opens fire. <laughs> and shooting poor Josh the intern uh, right in the buttocks. <laughs> like Forrest Gump. Uh, and I, I just love when, when Josh gets shot, they, they just bail immediately and jump into the car and Forrest keeps screaming to Josh, you're going to die. You're going to die. And Josh is in so much pain, but he's, he's screaming back to Forrest how he's not going to die. He's not going to die. I think that's, that's the difference between the two, because I think in Miles case, he was just robbing a, a service station. Oh, petrol station. And it's just him. You know, he goes in as a solo act. But yes. the difference is, like, I think you see that... And he goes in, you know, to rob the place. And he's got his strategy down. Uh, but, like, it seems like he, he just kind of gives up after a while where it's like he just wants things. And, you know, he's like, all right, give me the money in the till. Uh, one of those Slurpees. Give me one of those Slurpees. Yeah, give, just give me the, the cola one. And he just starts going around, like... Was he? he gets to, like, the frozen food. And he's like, uh... He's like, is this good? Is these, these pizza rolls good? And he's like, no, they're not good. They're crap. How about these fish fingers? Yeah, they're pretty good. Great. And that's it. He's like... He, he has a strategy, but he's put, you know, just making it up as he goes. But he seems to be just going through, like, a shopping list of just wants. Which, you know, leads to his downfall. Because he spends so much time in there. And there's, like, a guy who walks in who's just filled up his car. He doesn't know what's going on. He sees, uh... He, you know, he, he sees Miles there. And Miles like, what do you want? And he's like, oh, I just pumped number four. He's like... How much was it? Uh, I think seventy, like seventy dollars, something like that. Uh, and, he, and he's like, he's like, yeah, he has he has no strategy involved with Miles' situation. I think he does get pursued by the cops at the end of it. But yeah, with the two executions of you know the same act of theft, yeah, they're vastly different. It's great just because like they're both the way they both uh, engage what this 
act is, the final act in this review. Yeah, it's it, it's vastly different because, like, yeah, the Americans open fire on Australia. We have strict gun laws. And, yeah, he just he didn't know what he's doing. He does no planning. It's just, like, <laughs> run in. I'll, I'll get these things, like, money, uh, maybe a drink, maybe some food, uh, maybe this. And, yeah, he has no idea what he's doing. He's just on the fly just trying to go do this and this. And the cops turn up and he ends up running down the street. It's funny because at the end of Forrest's segment, you know, you can maybe say, okay, well, Lucille drove them away and maybe they weren't ever caught and maybe nobody ever really got a good look at them. Mm. But at the end of Miles' segment, you know, you seem to think that he got pursued and you wonder how he actually got out of that. Mm. I I, want to assume that, you know, at the end of it, he got caught and then he's like, oh, I'm doing a TV show. And then they're like, yeah, sure, mate. (laughs) And then like, you know, there's this whole behind the scenes stuff of him being interrogated like you know for his insanity but um no it's but it's good i think for his one where it's like you know you just leave it to the imagination of the audience to kind of guess like maybe they get away and maybe nobody knows who they are yeah because it can get a little murky when you're trying to explain yourself away from all of these crimes that will be committed throughout all of these episodes mm. and so yeah it, it does both versions require a, a small amount of uh, suspension of disbelief which mm. is fine so now in a voiceover, Forrest says that even though they didn't leave with a garbage bag full of cash, he took away something far more valuable, a newfound respect for America's unpaid interns. <laughs> and I love what he, he closes with saying, Josh's screams will haunt me forever. <laughs> so Forrest still, he's, you know, he's trying to get some value out of this whole experience, even though the, the bank heist was a bust. And he ends the segment by giving stealing two stars which i think is less than uh miles uh rated yeah it is yeah, miles said how many i think it was three. he gave it about three stars three stars yeah because he's in his review he has this kind of eloquent method of reviewing each um reviewing each activity uh but the way he puts together uses a lot of <laughs> if you just listen to what the way he pieces together review with his uh i guess imagery and uh similes he 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 yeah, he, he, he enjoys it, and that's it. He gets like, well, it's enjoyable, but, you know, it's at the end of it, no. You'll lead into your, <laughs> like a lead into a, a life of crime, which you'll never be happy. But he uses such imagery to describe these feelings. It's great. Yeah, and when I watch the the Miles Barlow version, I, I it reminds me of, like, a cable news documentary series. Hmm. Especially, like, uh, a man standing in front of, like, a, a background of monitors, you know, it just straightforward speaking to the camera, one person, and then going out on these assignments and then reporting back on them. It just reminds me of that kind of show. Whereas the 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 Andy Daly version, I, I don't know, it seems more like a reality show. Mm-hmm. More of like, a, well, I should, shouldn't say reality show, but more of like a um, documentary style shot reality show, I guess. Mm-hmm. But well, I, I like I like the differences there. Yeah, I mean, they're both equal to each other. Um, with Miles' thing, it feels like you're know, one lone man dealing with all these uh, questions that he's getting. And yeah, at the end of it, he has a kind of, I would say a 60 minutes kind of vibe to the end of it, where he's kind of very, very uh, critical about the actions and what he's done. And at the same time, he doesn't seem to be, like, he seems to be separated from what happened when he describes what happened in his review uh, compared yeah. to what actually happened, where he seemed like, you know, desperately running away from the cops, getting into a car, driving off. Yeah, and he comes back into the studio. He seems very calm and collected, to able to talk about about what happened in a very you know critical manner, which is yeah. it's, it's great. It's that whole separation of like the reality of what you've done, but instead, 
here's me talking about it in a critical way and you know what the reaction of what I've gotten from it. You know, it's 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 great. It's like this whole other the the studio is a whole other world. The two guys very committed to to what they're doing, playing it as straight as possible, which is is perfect. Mm. So at this point, the show goes into a commercial break. So why don't we take this opportunity to take a commercial break ourselves? We'll pay some bills and we'll be right back. With the ever-increasing rise of the popularity of cooking shows comes a cooking show dedicated to the type of person who watches a cooking show. The Single Person Cooking Show. Hi Sam, so what are you going to do today? Well Denise, I'm going to make two-minute noodles. Wow, two-minute noodles and it just takes two minutes? Quite right, it just takes two minutes to make this fabulous meal. Well, let's get started. Firstly, you want to make sure that you've got some boiling water. Here's some boiling water I've prepared. And next, you get your two-minute noodles. Open the packet and put the noodles into the boiling water. And how long does that normally take to make? It takes two minutes for the boiling water to penetrate the noodles themselves. Just two minutes? Just two minutes. And in the meantime, do you prepare a garnish? Vegetables and, or chicken or fish? No, nothing. Just just the noodles. Um, right. After the noodles are finished boiling, pour them out, strain them, and then put them into a bowl. Okay, and what would you pair this with? Like a, a wine, a red? I'd uh, say just a Coke from the fridge. Or maybe a beer. Okay. And what would you have for dessert? What what have you got in mind? Ah, glad you asked that. I did prepare something just earlier. Okay, looks like a, a packet of chocolate biscuits. Are you going to grind them up and turn them into a topping for an ice cream? No, that's it. That That's it? Okay, and, and where would you have this? I just eat it on the couch over there. Quite delicious. Hmm. And join us next week, where Sam will teach you how to open up a Mars bar on The Single Person Cooking Show, tonight at 7.30. And we're back. Now we come back from commercial into our next segment. Here, Forrest's next review comes from Patty in Park City, Utah. And she writes that, Doctors tell me I have to be careful because of all the addicts in the human cesspool that is my family, but I'm not so sure. Forrest, what's it like to be an addict? And of course, you know, Forrest, uh, the only thing I've ever been addicted to is a thirst for knowledge. <laughs> so we immediately cut to Forrest at his desk in the review offices, and he's meticulously cutting lines of cocaine on a mirror with a credit card. <laughs> so he goes, like, right into it. Did he get that from his uh, intern? I don't think we first see where he got it from. Because yeah. I, I assumed he got it from his intern who brought it in. Yeah, probably. I mean, we know... Well, we get the indication that his intern uh, partakes himself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Forrest snorts some of it and, and immediately acts adversely to the feeling. He says it's like bleach in his sinuses. And he's like, oh no, this is no good. And he throws the rest of it away. <laughs> I, I just like how happy he seems to be, like how he's going on a grand adventure. And he says, was it Bon Voyage? Prior to snorting the co cocaine, he says Bon Voyage or something like that. He says some sort of dramatic thing just when he's doing cocaine. 
Oh, so like saying that he's leaving now on this journey yeah. of addiction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like some sort of noble adventurer. That's funny. I didn't even catch that. So Farce dumps all the coke in the trash. He's like, nah, this is no good. And Josh, his intern's like, no. And Farce is like, what? You weren't going to do this cocaine, were you? <laughs> But Forrest feels as though, you know, all it did was hurt his nose. He had no use for it. But he immediately gets this boost of energy. And he's like, you want you want to go take a walk? <laughs> so then from this point, we see Forrest trying to get hooked on something. He tries two other substances. And I love how he describes them. He, he tries cigarettes filled with tobacco and alcoholic wine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, according to Forrest, it, it doesn't work. He can't get hooked on anything. And... At the bar, the the wine makes him so sleepy that to counteract its effects, he decides to take a, a short trip to the bathroom. And uh, when he emerges, he feels a little more energetic. <laughs> yes, with a, uh, a suspicious white ring around his nostril. <laughs> uh, now, speaking to the to the camera now, Forrest, he's just full of energy, and he claims he's not addicted to anything, and he's probably just immune to it, and he calls himself Mr. Invulnerable. And he said he couldn't get addicted to cocaine, cigarettes, or alcohol, but there's one more thing he needs to try. More cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so next we see this montage of the effects of Forrest's recreational cocaine use. He He's frantically organizing the books in the bookshelf. What is his wife sitting in bed? Yeah. What's it? She's drinking or reading something in bed? While he's sitting there just mumbling to himself as he's like filing the books properly back in order. <laughs> something about the colors need to be yeah. in a certain order. Yeah, the, the typical mumbling of a addict sitting there going, just gotta get a, get a colors. If we put it like this, we'll just do that. And then he was like, oh my god. He, he, looks, he looks like he's really into it. He'd be great just for any other house. At the moment, it seems like drugs seem to be optimizing his, you know, uh, effectability at home. Seems great. Yes. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing you need. If you have guys who are going to help you clean up your house, get some cocaine and they'll get the job done <laughs> half the time. The statements of Hamish McGregor do not reflect those of Hitting Play Podcast, <laughs> Lily, Scott, or Sean. Sorry, I just have to throw that in. So anything <laughs> I'm talking about is it's my own fault. <laughs> For legal reasons, yes. Yeah. But yeah, don't, don't do drugs. But it just seems, thanks to the... <laughs> Man, let me let me backtrack. Hold on. It seems, thanks to the comedic stylings of this man acting in the way of a man having drugs, he's following the comical fashion of what the effects of cocaine could do to a person, not the actual effects. Right on. That's ironclad. Okay, you're good. <laughs> Thank God. I was about to get my lawyer. Yeah. So so after this, we see also he he's knitting a scarf for the dog. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and my favorite part is he energetically recites a bedtime story for his son. I think it's uh, Chicken Little. Mm. He's doing the Chicken Little. And he's doing all the actions and everything. He seems to be like actively into the story. <laughs> to the point where he just collapses into the bed from exhaustion. And of course, all of these segments will, throughout the course of the series, take a very big toll on his personal life. And as we talked about earlier, he can't mention to his wife it, it'll ruin the experiment so he can't mention to anybody not associated with the show what he's really up to so the next morning his wife suzanne confronts him about 14 atm withdrawals that were made that week and uh forrest is kind of out of it and uh he's like yeah well it could have been what's his name you know upstairs 
<laughs> Forgetting his own son's name. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you have a yogurt uh, which exploded on him. Oh, yeah. He yeah. squeezes the yogurt. He's about to, like, she comes around the corner, he's like, ah, and he just squeezes and explodes, and he's like, oh, this is, this is broken. We then cut to Forrest volunteering to chaperone his son Eric and his friends on a camping trip. And after not being able to find his small bag, do you, did you guys catch what he calls it here on the camping trip? Wasn't it like camping powder? Camping powder. powder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He can't find it, and so Forrest desperately calls Josh the intern to bring him some more camping powder. Though after that, he's completely different. He's, he's very ambitious about all the badges he wants him and the kids to earn. He's just going around the campfire, and he, he starts breathing heavy. And the kids notice that his nose is bleeding. <laughs> oh, so funny. And then he again starts yelling, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. <laughs> he thinks he's having a heart attack, and one of the kids, because, you know, these lo- look to be like Boy Scouts or something, one of them starts to try to perform CPR on him, and he's so paranoid from the drugs, he's, he starts accusing the kid of being a cop for knowing CPR. <laughs> <laughs> From this point, we cut to an intervention at the McNeil household, and Forrest walks in, and you would think that he would be at a low point in his life at this point, but no, he walks in, and he is so happy to see this intervention. He is very excited. He mentions how he was so happy to go from fumbled snorting to overdose to family intervention in record time. (laughs) That's an an achievement. He's got to be proud of that. (laughs) And he can't wait to go to rehab. It's not really much of an intervention at all. He just, he walks around and immediately apologizes to everybody. He's, he's a bad neighbor. He's a bad father. He's a bad son-in-law. He's a bad husband. All right, let's go. You know, he wants to, wants to go right off to rehab. Mm. He wants the full experience as quick as possible. Yeah, that was the weirdest thing. Cause it was, he walks into the house and he's got the friends and family there. And then they said like, oh, you have a problem. He's like, great, good. <laughs> Which also seems like he's maybe still in the effects of cocaine. Um, it certainly seems that yeah. way. He's like, great, good, but like at the same time, he wants that, so it's he, his need has been hivened up, or it's like, I want to go to rehab, but I'm still on cocaine. So it's like, he's getting, it's like a win-win for him. It's like, yes, I'm getting the thing I wanted, and immediately, quickly. You know, it's just how happy he is to be told that you know he's got a problem and he needs to see someone. He's like, great, good, let's go. So now after Forrest leaves, his father-in-law, who's played by Fred Willard, he decides to read his letter to Forrest anyway because I guess he worked on it so hard and he begins with a quote from Grandmaster Flash. <laughs> did, did any of you guys write this down? Oh. I got it. He, he, he reads, You going high on that cocaine, you going crazy like a cocaine train. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some wise words. Some wise words. Yes. So bizarre. And, uh, you know, it's it seemed kind of like a throwaway role here that Fred Willard, who has, you know, a lot of comedic experience, would just be in this one scene. But no, we see him much more in series one. And uh, he's involved with a, a few of Forrest's reviews. I won't spoil any of those for you. So the scene now finishes with Forrest being driven to rehab by his crying wife. Forrest is just completely manic and he looks at the camera and he's like when I get back from rehab I'll probably say cocaine is terrible but don't believe me cocaine's amazing I give it a million stars (laughs) (laughs) 
So he claims now that the the clean and sober forest that you'll see after the segment is a liar. And and I think he even writes down liar with an arrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as he's standing there. We, We cut to Forrest now in studio, and he's like, no, I'm not a liar. He's a liar. He finishes the segment by giving addiction half a star. Mm, mm. It's, it's, it's not the best. You know, I feel like I didn't really have to watch this to draw the same conclusion. That, that drugs <laughs> it's the bad. true, yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said before, it's a comedic actor playing a stereotypical version of a man who's on a suspicious substance. He's playing the stereotypical version. So yes, drugs are bad, but is it really him taking drugs? I'm just trying to get myself out of hot water if I get in trouble for talking about drugs, and I'm very casual about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> drugs are bad. Very bad. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. But um, yeah, he's, his interpretation of a man on drugs, then falling apart, and then being excited to be pieced back together, which I don't know if it's going to work for him in this case, but apparently it seems like it did. Um, <laughs> it's it's an interesting interpretation just because like he's he, his version of uh, addiction is yeah different from Miles Barlow's version of addiction because I think um, addiction for his one comes out I think I think maybe series two because both- yeah now I didn't get a chance to look at that how how does how does Miles Barlow approach the the review of addiction um it, it it's again different flavored like there was a a character in series one he meets who. Was it? It, he, he was transporting drugs because he wanted to gain uh, he wanted to gain money to buy a jet ski, and the quickest way to do it was basically uh, well, smuggling drugs. This guy paid him to <laughs> smuggle drugs, and the guy he, who's selling these drugs and getting the the drug running uh, is actually a, a, an actor who's you know you've seen him in Australian drama and things like that before in uh, Australian uh, TV shows. But yeah, it's it's funny because like Miles picks up, so he picks it up and he goes like, "Hey, weren't you in Rapid Proof Fence?" And he's like, "Yeah, I was. It, it's it's kind of hard out here as for an actor. So I need to sell <laughs> these drugs." And so like you know, he he basically goes off to sell drugs, um, and come back. And this character returns for the addiction episode because Miles is like, "Oh, I need to do addiction now. I need to you know get in contact with an old friend." And he goes back to meet the guy, and he does go through a routine of you know. Uh, Cocaine, what's that? Cocaine, cigarettes, uh, drinking. What else he does? He does sex addiction. He does gambling addiction. Uh, but the thing is, he's doing all this at the same time in a w- weird way. Because there's one part <laughs> where he wants to do, was it uh, exercise, like you know, gym junkie addiction. And there's a part uh-huh. where you can see him. He's smoking, holding a glass of scotch, and running on a treadmill <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> He's experiencing everything at the same time, and then you see him like he's doing like is it the um, arm lifts with like again smoking and drinking, basically combining everything into one. You know, different from Andy Daly, like you know he gets on cocaine and he's like, you know he's painting this the inside of a guy's house with yellow paint, and he's just trying everything. Like he, he's, he like instead of like one thing then another thing then another thing, he's just doing everything at the same time. <laughs> and you know he, he turns this kind of mess of a man throughout the review. Where you're like, you know, he's on a bicycle at one point with a bong, <laughs> smoking, and then like, you know, he's it, it, it's 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 a it's more of extreme version of what Andy's doing. Like, you know, he's just combining everything. It's this kind of frantic mess of a man. He's like, ah, oh, then I'll try this, and then this, and then you know, the cocaine's you know messing him up, and then he's back in his house, and he's got a prostitute in there, and he's smoking, and he's still on cocaine, and then he's gambling again. 
Miles Barlow stuff, yeah, it's unrefined kind of stuff. He's just like doing things that, as it comes to him, you know, yeah, uh, leading to a point where he's out of money, he is on the streets, he's drinking, I think, terps or something like that, or meth, metho. Just on the street drinking like metho straight from the bottle, the same cleaning fluid. And I think at one point he's at a gas station huffing fumes from someone's car as they're filling it up. Oh my god. Yeah. That, that's the difference between the, two, between the two. It's like, yeah, the Australian version is a little, a little darker, to say the least. Um, but again, it, it's, it's just hilarious because he's, he's just trying everything, not in a measured sense, just everything at the same time. Andy's one, you know, has this kind of crescendo while. Uh, Miles one is like a man falling apart faster and faster and faster. Uh, and I think there's one point where he, he steals a, a watch from a young boy. <laughs> but no, it's it's great. He, his one is different. And yeah, it just involves him with this narration over the top of him talking about, you know, his addiction getting out of hand and the things he's trying to do to maintain these addictions. You know, all the while still smoking because he's you know, formed that addiction and drinking. But yeah, it, it's... Oh my God. It, it's It's... <laughs> It's it's a completely polarizing difference, but still equal to each side of it. Where it's like you know yeah. you have Miles falling apart, and then you have Andy Daly who's excited to fall apart. You know, yes. he seems to be so happy that you know he's about to fall apart, and he has to go get rehab. And both of them do involve uh, a scene where you know they have their friends and family come around and tell them that you know they need to you know get off this addiction, they need to sort their life out. But I think with Andy's one, he gets sent to a clinic and with. Uh, Miles, when he basically gets locked in a room and goes cold turkey. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> and again, again, because it's a lot darker, it has a lot, a lot more uh, darker imagery. Like you know, Miles at one point just kind of like you know, in, huddled in a corner, you know, dark circles under his eyes, looking like a mess of a human being. You know, <laughs> with like a lamp on the ground with a dramatic lighting. Yeah, it's it's different, and it's great that you can see these two angles of how they approach addiction. Two guys that are great at playing like broken spirits. Yeah, but but it's great. I think with Andy's one, he gets this kind of support of like you know he's going to be fine, he's going to be okay. Uh, but with Miles' one, well, I think Miles de- de- uh, deals with um, uh, relapse as well because at the end of it, he does relapse into addiction. Okay. Yeah, and I think from what I can remember the episode, he does crash crash a car and end up think killing himself at one point, maybe killing himself or sending himself to the hospital. Trying to remember that one because <laughs> it just ends up with a scene of oh him God. back in the studio looking at the screen, and it has him has basically a hole in the windshield, and he's lying on the bonnet unconscious, and it's like a <laughs> smattering of blood around the open uh, glass hole that he's been flung through. <laughs> and he's and he again he's just looking at it like, hmm, hmm. And he turns to the camera and does his you know final thoughts on the piece. Yeah, so. <laughs> they do oh, that's great. in such a different way. Yeah, you'll see it. He just looks like a shocking mess of a human being. <laughs> I don't know why now, I'm laughing about that. That's not good. No, no. Uh. <laughs> now, with Andy Daly's version, these problems that he kind of picks up as he goes from review to review, they really accumulate and they, they ruin his life, essentially. Now, does the same thing happen to Miles or are these pretty much self-contained? Um... Same thing happens to him where, like, his family start noticing that he's acting strange. But, like, yeah, it's just like he's combining everything, you know, uh, drinking, smoking, uh, drug addiction, sex addiction, 
And, it, yeah, it gets into the mess where, like, yeah, they have the confrontation where it's like, you've got a problem. And then they quickly, you know, manhandle him, throw him into a room to get him to go cold turkey. But, yeah, yeah, at the end of it, he, I think he has a, has his doctor, I'm trying to remember. Doctor, and he has his briefcase open, and he sees that he has, like, a BMW keys. And then he's, like, looking at it and gets tempted, and then he just takes it. And this is where it ends off, where he relapses and steals a car, and he's driving and smoking and crashes the vehicle. <laughs> yeah. So, so they both end up in different ways. Um, but if you do see it, you, it, it's just it's a it's a great sight seeing a man on a treadmill with a glass of scotch and a cigarette running in a gym with other people behind <laughs> him who are also in the gym as well, and he's running, smoking, going, you know, just huffing and choking. Oh my god, it's the imagery of it. It's just ridiculous. They they both uh, achieve their goal in two separate ways. You know, just watching what happens is ridiculous. To, to both sides, I mean, you know, I, I just thought about, you know, the turnaround with um Andy's want for going to rehab, and then you see Miles' thing where he's just a man going through the stages of addiction and kind of refuting help at the same time and just, you know, destroying yeah. himself. Well, Andy's ultimate goal is to go to rehab. So now our next segment is prom. And Farah's final review of the episode comes from a tweet from at Kelly of VT, who looks like a girl in a neck brace, kind of a, a curious <laughs> avatar. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> a weird, weird uh, addition to that. And she tweets to the show, will prom be the best night of my life or just two hours of trying to keep my boyfriend's hands out of my pants? And so... Forrest, you know, he's up for any challenge, and so he replies that going to the senior prom will not be easy for an adult like him, but he will find a way to do it. And so we cut to Forrest, and he's just walking around a high school, just this creepy guy in a suit, and he's trying to get a date, and he's going up to girls and implying that, you know, he doesn't have a date for the senior prom. <laughs> but, of course, everybody rejects him, you know, this, this weird guy walking around. I love the point, there's one point where he, he approaches a girl at a locker talking about how he doesn't have a date, and, uh, you know, he has to leave, and he, he's told by the guidance counselor, evidently, that he was to stay out of the building. Yeah, just a, a sequence of really uncomfortable scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I just like he has this kind of air of optimism about himself, like, oh, this isn't normal, I'm trying to get a woman to go, or a young woman to go with me to the prom. You know, it's that, it's just like... He's, he's, either he's, like, he's not twigging that this is wrong. This is, this is, well, I guess, in a way, borderline legal, uh, depending on whoever he's going to talk to, which, in his case, are young girls, which is illegal for him to be doing this sort of stuff, I assume. Uh, yes. You know, because obviously we're hoping that, you know, these are all, obviously are all actors. You know, he's simulating <laughs> this situation, you know, in, in a real life situation. We wouldn't do this because it's bizarre. But with him, it's it's like he has this air of optimism, like, oh, it's easy. I'm just going to talk to a young woman and see if she wants to go to prom with me. Oh, no, it's just it's that. He's just this walking around where he's talking to girls, like, going, excuse me, would you like to go to prom with me? And they're like, what? <laughs> they're all kind of freaked out by this guy. <laughs> like, the, like, the, like, the kids are in reality, and he's in this other bubble of, like, oh, no, I'm just asking for someone to go to prom because, uh, you know, you have to ask someone to go to prom, and then I will go to prom with this girl. And it's like, you know, he's, he's following those kind of notes, but you know, not looking at himself going, mate, you're, you're way above the age limit here, buddy. Anything. And that's what's great about it is like Forrest goes into any of these reviews with just that, that strange optimism, like you said, because he has it constantly in the back of his head that, 
what he's doing is for the good of society. You know, he is, this show is not just an entertainment show. This is for a noble purpose for humanity. He's going to review life experiences. And so that's what, no matter what the strange situation is, he's going to do it. Hmm. So far as search for a date, you know, does not go well at the school. And as he mentions it, his search leads him back to his own living room because there at his house is his son's babysitter, Meg Carmichael, who is a high school senior. And she's a girl who does not mind a good sub sandwich. <laughs> it's so strange. Just sitting there eating this sub on the couch. Guess I can't blame her if it was a good sub. Yeah, who doesn't like a good sub sandwich? I, I don't blame her. <laughs> one of the funniest moments now of the show is when Forrest has to drive her home and we get this very creepy scene where he's he's driving her back home at night. He parks the car and he calmly says to her, uh, Meg, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. <laughs> oh my God, horrible, cringeworthy scene. I, I wrote down all this dialogue because it's so great. He says, uh, you're a senior in high school now, yes? And you've got a prom coming up, right? Has anyone asked you to your senior prom yet? How would you like to go to your prom with me? You know, it's just like this weird fatherly tone. And Meg is kind of drab and she's just kind of like, uh, okay. And he's like all excited now. He's got a date for the prom and he's like, okay, now I'll bring you home. <laughs> yeah, there, there is that kind of quality to it in that one scene where he's like talking to her and it's like, where, where, where's this going? <laughs> You know, it could, it could have taken a sharp right angle, but, you know, knowing the context of what he's going to talk about, it's like, yeah, okay, this is fine. It's, we know what he's going to talk about. Yes, and we know that Forrest doesn't have any, you know, creepy intentions with Meg. He just merely wants a girl that he can call his date so he can go to the prom. I mean, that's all he's going to do. But the way he approaches it is just the creepiest thing in the world. Mm, it could have turned to one of those, like, Lifetime movies where... <laughs> I, I, you don't want to know, but anyway, yeah, it's it's he approached it in such a bizarre way, but uh, but it's lucky for us that we know exactly what he's going to talk about in the context. Oh, and then also when when Meg agrees, Farah says we're going to have a very good time, a very good time. <laughs> uh, so so Forrest arrives at Meg's house at six p.m. sharp to pick her up and it uh, gets some awkward photos taken, you know, by Meg's parents. You just see Meg's father's face the whole time. <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, they don't look happy about this. I, you, have, you have to imagine what, uh, as the parents, with this older man and their young daughter. Because it's just—it's the weirdest image where like he's he looks as happy as anything. Just a man who's with a date, and he's like, all right, let's take the photo. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's get ready for this. This is, what, this is what we do. Take photos in front with the family. And it's like... Yeah, the the family just sitting there going, what? Yeah, but they they go along with it, you know. They're in shock. Yeah, it's like they're going along with it. They're going. They're not sure why. I mean, it's I guess it's their <laughs> daughter's choice, but at the same time, what? <laughs> so at the dance now, Forrest is out there dancing. You know, he's trying to get the experience, but Meg is just sitting at her table eating another sub sandwich, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. He's like, "Did you bring this from home? Where did you get this?" Yeah. <laughs> and Forrest describes Meg as having a genetic inability to have a good time. Uh, that's certainly the sense we get out of this character. 
So Forrest tries to get Meg out of her shell a little bit. He brings her around from table to table, and the couple is just chastised by everybody, including many of the popular kids. So uh, l- later when Forrest is dancing with Meg, an awkward moment arises when his former high school classmate Todd Schuster approaches to greet Forrest. And Todd's just like, you know, what are you doing here? And I guess Todd is the wrestling coach, so that's why he's there. But he was wondering what Forrest is doing. And uh, Forrest, he's reminiscing about how crappy his senior prom was, saying it was terrible because it was held at an abandoned fish factory. <laughs> and so so Todd's laughing. He, he finally reveals to Forrest all these years later that, no, he was at a decoy prom that the popular kids set up for all the losers. Aww. So Forrest actually takes it pretty well, it seems. He, he forgives Todd and, and tells him that he'd like to give him a hug. And of course, as we saw from the last segment, when Forrest gives you a hug under suspicious circumstances, he's stealing your wallet. (laughs) (laughs) I just like how they tied it together, though. So Forrest then uses Todd's wrestling coach money, as he put it, to buy cocaine, saying that perhaps he went to decoy rehab as well. (laughs) 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 So yeah, we, in the third segment, we're kind of given the impression that these segments are standalone, but no, they all are affecting his life in some small way, whether he knows it or not. And so here he's combined his stealing skills with his cocaine addiction, and now he's going to use that to have a good time at prom. That's one way to have fun. I mean... Or wind up on a stretcher. (laughs) But also at the same time, I'd like to repeat, drugs are bad. You shouldn't take drugs anywhere near kids, having drugs near kids, or to any of those places. (laughs) Again, I'm I'm digging myself out of a hole. Right. No, no, no. You're, that's, that's. I think that's a perfect way to put it. Oh, thank God. Whew. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. Now, in the the Miles Barlow version, do we see a lot of this type of thing where the skills, or maybe not even skills, bad traits from former reviews coming back to be put to use in other reviews? Um, it's different because I think with Miles, once like you have characters that will return. I guess like the wife and things like that. But um. Like I mentioned before, when he was doing addiction, he met a character he met in another episode where, you know, I think it was about gaming? God, what was it? It's, I think it's episode one. Um, yeah, he met another character he met before who had to deal with drugs. So with this, it was, but it was like episodes later. Um, so you don't have this kind of continuation. You have spots, I guess, of continuation where they'll come back to certain, I guess, people that might turn up mm-hmm. again. Uh, but with yeah, with um, the Andy Daly version, yeah, it seems like that whole story fits together. So his one is crafted in that way. Well, Miles' one's like the people who are still in the world. So he does segments which are just separate se- segments, like you know, one or four segments. Uh, but you might see characters pop up again, like you know, okay. uh, like from series one to series two. Yeah, I mean, you you have different flavors, but it's not exactly you know uh, completely the same. Okay, so both are like cohesive stories, but just in different ways. Yeah, in different ways, like, you know, like I think in uh, Miles Barlow's world, you know, these people still exist outside of the segments. Uh, And, you know, you might pop in, you might see him again. But uh, with Andy Daly's thing, it's like, you know, everything's adding up to it. You know, he's learning these skills in this um, particular episode. Yeah, he's he's piecing it all together, which is a great way to wrap it all up to remind you of what you've seen and what experience he's gone through. But it also seems like he's learning from it as well. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So now that Forrest has the cocaine here, he's inviting the popular kids to join him and Meg in the men's room, I guess, to do some lines. 
and Forrest finally gets Meg to do drugs after a rousing chant of peer pressure, peer pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Very on the nose. No pun intended. Mm. Uh, and so the scene immediately cuts now to Meg. She's frantically dancing in the middle of the dance floor, along with Forrest running around high-fiving everybody. And they're just going nuts. You know, this this complete manic display uh, finishes with Forrest having another overdose. And as Lily mentioned, he's being wheeled away in a gurney. Well, a hysterical Meg just rolls around on the floor crying as the police enter. It does not end well. <laughs> as I wouldn't have expected it ending well from the title of the episode. <laughs> Stealing Addiction Prom. <laughs> uh, you know, at least, hey, those kids had fun. It's, it's going to be a, a prom that they'll uh, never forget. <laughs> well, that's true, yeah. Memorable doesn't always mean good. Yeah, I guess memorable depends on the situation. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't go, man, I had a memorable accident. Oh, let me tell you, let me regale you in the story of me falling off my bike. You know, it's, it, it, you know, it comes in waves, different waves. So now the episode ends with Forrest in studio telling the audience that, you know, maybe one day they'll have a chance to go to the prom with a date that's not a social outcast with an undiagnosed mood disorder, and you'll have the night of your life. But few people are ever that lucky, and it's not worth the risk. And he finishes with giving prom half a star. <laughs> I guess that's pretty accurate. Like Lily said, yeah, it does seem pretty accurate. I mean, uh, in Australia we have uh, formals. We don't really call we don't call them proms. Uh, called formals. Yeah, and I remember my formal not being uh, not not something to look back on. Going, what a great time! It's just like, man, that was a very awkward time in my life with somebody and you know <laughs> you can't really have like it's it's hard to navigate when you're a young kid trying to work out you know oh here's a girl and here's my friend with his girl that he's found for the date tonight and here you know, are my teachers looking at me this is weird <laughs> yeah why do teachers chaperone stuff like that i don't know it's strange it always feels well, like you're, on, you're in a test or something like that or you're gonna do something wrong that's that's the fear that i like you rationally have where it's like I'm with a girl, and it's like, if I don't pull a chair out, is my teacher going to yell at me? You know, from across the hallway. It's like, what are you doing? Pull the chair out. Compliment her. Tell her she has a nice dress. Hey, Mish, what are you doing? Do you want come back afterwards? We'll tell you what you're doing wrong. <laughs> wow, that, that was a pretty strict problem you went to. Or formal. Yeah, no, it's one of those irrational things that you have in your head where you're like, am I, am I being graded on this? Like, so, like socially? Because they always did that, I remember, in school, where they like had, like... Uh, the performance review and they looked at you know oh you know daniel isn't really gelling with the rest of the students he doesn't put his hand up enough that's the kind of thing so irrationally yeah, yeah, yeah. you think that you know if <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to a girl if i'm not having a good conversation am i going to be graded for this like you know there'll be a cross me and they grade <laughs> the formal like yeah hamish uh talked to a girl you know he looked her straight in the eyes uh Made no attempt at any kind of pass. Didn't seem to be interested in maybe, you know, pursuing a relationship with her. Yeah, you know, he, he might have some difficulties later on in life. You know, you might want to look out for that, you know. <laughs> it's, it's irrational, but I, it's one of those things that you worry about. It's like, my teacher's going to see me interact with a girl. And, you know, I know when I get back to school, it's like, they'll be like, ah, so I saw you holding hands with that Sarah woman. You know, it's like, <laughs> what does that mean? Am I, am, I, am I getting an F? What? What happened? So out of five stars, how would you rate your formal? Uh, out of five, one. It happened. Oh, wow. It was an experience. 
but I wouldn't want to live it again. I mean, I'm an adult now, and I'm fine <laughs> talking to people and <laughs> dealing with social situations, but at that time, it's just like, you go to it, you're, you've asked a girl who, you know, you're not sure, like, it's not a relationship, it's just like, I guess, a, a, a mass date. And then you're wearing a suit that doesn't quite fit because you've either rented it or it's just your dad's. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah I wasn't that big at your age. <laughs> you, know, you can wear it. You'll be fine. And again, you have no idea what style is. You have no idea how to interact with people in a way. You're just basically kids in adult clothing. Very well put. <laughs> <laughs> I never actually went to my prom. I didn't think it was worth the... The effort or the money that it's, like, ridiculously expensive. Yeah, well, plus your school has prom, like, at a hotel ballroom or something, right? Yeah, it's, like, at some community center where it's actually nice or suitable. And then there's, like, this whole after party that goes on till four in the morning so that kids won't go to a party and get all liquored up. I don't even know if our school had a prom, to be honest with you. Our school had, like, I think we had uh, a year 11 formal and year 12 formal. And I didn't go to year 11 formal because I, I didn't have a date and I thought it was stupid. Because, you know, I was, I was trying to be cool that, or I just didn't have money to go to it. Uh, but I went to year 12 <laughs> one, and again, this is, this is how awkward it was. I didn't actually have, like, I, I think during that year I did have a girlfriend, but we broke up months prior to it. So I didn't have a date, and so I ended up asking my next door neighbor out. <laughs> which is equally awkward because it's just like, hi, I'm that guy who lives next door. Would you like to go to a situation with people that you don't know en masse? Yes? She did say yes. <laughs> and we did go to it, but again, awkward. Just very awkward. And it was held in, uh, was it one of those uh, function buildings? Like, yeah, they actually have, have uh, actual halls which are built for functions. Like, it's not part mm -hmm. of a hotel, it's not part of another building, it's just, like, one building which is built for functions, you know, exclusively. Well, it's better than, like, taking your cousin or something. Yes, that would have gone weird. <laughs> I, 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 I do, wouldn't want to live that story, but again, I have to live with the story of knowing I took my uh, next-door neighbor out. I think after, I, I haven't talked to her since. <laughs> since that time, haven't talked to her about what happened, how it went down, or got a review from... You know, the whole situation. Just basically it happened and she went home next door. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, at least you didn't have to... Uh, it wasn't much of a drive to pick her up, so that was that's pretty good. Yeah, it's just basically step out of the house in a suit, go next door and go, Hey, you ready? <laughs> uh, well, I think that's nice. That was nice of her. It was nice of her to agree, especially for the fact that, you know, you know, afterwards, like, you know, I, I think I went to an after party uh, after it and then, you know, she just basically went home. Uh, yeah, not much communication after that, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I have to ask, what was the age difference between the two? Oh, no, we're the same age. Oh, okay. yeah. well, that's that's a lot better. I wasn't in, like, you know, <laughs> I guess, you know, uh, let's say Andy Daly's situation, let's say, have, like, man in his, was it mid-30s, late-30s? But like, I you think know, he's about 40, yeah. 40, you know, a man in his 40s yeah. or a woman in his 40s taking out a person who is way below the limit. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't that kind of weird situation. It was, it, we're on the same page. It's just, you know, again, That's good. teenage awkwardness of not knowing how to be adult and just going along with whatever happens by going, hi, do you like the fish here? It's like, yeah, it's <laughs> good. Also dancing. Oh, God, that's awkward. No one knows how to dance. I hate dancing. It's just that group dancing. Yeah, it's not, it's not dancing. It's more 
shuffling around. Rhythmic swaying. Yeah. Well, now it's a little worse than that. <laughs> it's a little worse. Oh, I know. You you kids nowadays, I don't know what you're doing. It's disgusting. Yeah. You should all be ashamed of yourselves. Yeah. With your backflips, your choreography, your, you know, dance dance revolution. Gah, kid. I know, like, some kid is like... <laughs> hey, Mish, it's all breakdancing and sliders for these kids nowadays, you know? Breakdancing, sliders, doing a bit of the old... Yeah, oh, boxes. God, you know, square dancing, fourth dimension dancing. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't hang around school prom, so I don't know what the dancing is. I, I, I always assumed that there was one kid who had this, you know, choreography in his head where it's like, this is my time, this is my place, I'm gonna do it right here, I'm gonna do my dance set right here. Because there was that one kid. There's always like seems to be one kid who wanted to either have like some sort of routine in his brain, and this was it. This was his time to show it off. You know, everyone crowds around in the circle, and he would either do some sort of very weak break dancing, uh, or some sort of weird routine. I, I, that's what I found in my school. It's like there's one kid in a group of, I guess, a hundred kids who was like, yeah, oh yeah, I've, I've got a setup. I know what I can do. I'm ready for this. <laughs> but there's no. Um, close intimate dancing that everyone actually had an idea of how to do it was basically like yeah you hold the hand you shuffle left shuffle right shuffle back shuffle forward <laughs> yep that's dancing with a girl and plus the the music at, at these australian formals it's all what like iggy azalea and acdc oh god <laughs> <laughs> yes because we haven't got any type of music midnight and, oil yeah yeah <laughs> When when things get you know a little bit moody, when things get a little bit you know romantic, we uh, put on some cold chisel <laughs> or some John Fine. I don't even know what that is. Oh my god! <laughs> See, that's the thing. <laughs> when I talk about actual Australian bands that we know of, it's like they haven't gotten over to you. But if you look at um, Cold Chisel, that's that's a great band, or um, anything by John Farnham. I'll have to look it up. The the only let's see, I'm trying to think of what music I I possess that's Australian. Um, have you heard of Men at Work? Yes. You... <laughs> we do know this band. Do you know why? Because every American assumes that that's the song that's always playing here in Australia. It comes from land down under. God. So we go right into the credits of the show and the production title card of Absolutely. Are you guys familiar with Tim and Eric? Yes. Yeah. But they're, they're Absolutely thing with the guy going Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they also do um, Comedy Bang Bang. Yes. And that's uh, Tim Heidecker's uh, production company, and that's Tim Heidecker's father in an old home home movie. <laughs> yeah, that, that that those guys have got some really unique talents. I gotta say, with their work. Yes, and usually, if you see the absolutely production logo, it's usually a pretty good show. Mm. And so, after the production logo, the credits, there was actually a post-credit scene. I almost missed this too. I almost just shut off the episode. But uh, it finishes with uh, a drug-addled Forrest back in the car again, and his wife is crying again, and uh, he's being driven off to rehab. Yeah. All right, so what were your thoughts now upon watching this episode? I know it was your your first time actually seeing this series in general, Lily, so what, what did you think? It had a very different style of humor to it, um, like more the uncomfortable kind of humor, almost the same vibe that the office gives off just a little bit darker um even though the american version is still campier than the australian version i thought it was pretty funny whether it was something i'd go back and watch whether it's you know my type of of humor i'm not so sure but i thought it was pretty genius i mean even though 
it, it, it was uh, very similar to something else. Very interesting idea. Yeah, the show, the American version, yeah, it's a lot lighter than the Australian version. Uh, but they both execute their uh, review of this topic in their own way. Because, you know, there isn't one specific way to review this. Because it's life, it goes in two different directions, or many different directions in this case. Uh, and it worked out pretty well. I mean, like, the American version had its structure to it, where at the end of it, where they tied the two reviews into one, uh, while Miles Barlow's one was like, they're all separate little reviews that happen in his life. Um, but yeah, it, it's great that the American one decides to take a couple of notes from the Australian one, but then decide to just deviate and create what they want from it, which is great, because it's just not the same thing again. You're not watching the same idea again. It's just something where it's like, here's the original idea, and we'll just go, all right, it's up for uh, interpretation, which is great. And, and, you know, it's good to see that there's a TV show that's taken something uh, from the original concept and, you know, pulled something out of it and made something that's equally as funny. And it's good to actually see that kind of stuff from time to time. I mean, yeah, if you look at the original one, it is darker, but most uh, things made in Australia have that kind of dark tinge to it. I mean, it, it's great to see that, you know, that out of most Australian TV shows, uh, this one's been handled in such a way where it's able to create its own image, create its own uh, standpoint, uh, and be something that's different and not the same. So, like Wilfred, uh, they took the concept and went their own direction, still in the same sort of structure, but breaking away from it and just you know doing what they want to do with it, and yeah, making it making it rele- uh, relevant to uh, the audience that they're trying to produce it to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like you said, they totally made it their own, which is great. It's not like watching the first episode of The Office UK and The Office US, where you're basically seeing the same thing almost beat by beat. You don't get that boredom. Yeah, I think the only overlap we've noticed between the Australian and American versions are when Miles goes up and takes the shopping bags from the elderly woman and walks off with them. I think that's the only real thing we we saw in both. Yeah. And both, both took it in a different way. You know, we saw Forrest now knows how to smile to your face and steal your wallet. And, you know, Miles secretly kept a, a room of the house that he filled with all of the items that he stole. You yeah. know, they, were, they approached it from two completely different ways. Like you said, equal in their, their comedy, though. Mm. And it, it's nice. It's nice that you can watch one show and then you can watch the other show. You get the same idea, but they're both funny, you know, in their own ways. And, and I'm very happy that Andy Daly finally has a showcase for his comedic talent. You know, he's, like I said, he's done stand-up shows. He's been on Comedy Bang Bang as a guest on the podcast and on the TV show. Uh, A few years back, he put out an album called Nine Sweaters, where he he did a live show and wore nine different sweaters and played nine different characters. And that's what he does best. I mean, he was on Mad TV, I think, one season, and it might have even been the last season. And just completely underused. And now that Comedy Central is taken over by a guy named Kent Alterman, he was a a movie director formerly. I think he directed Semi-Pro, the Will Ferrell basketball movie. And Andy Daly was a commentator, almost had that, that 50s cadence in his voice as an announcer. And, you know, so he's worked with Andy Daly before. And I think he always kind of just had him in his back pocket as, you know, he's going to find a show for him. And I'm glad that they settled on this format and, you know, just a really genius concept that Phil Lloyd came up with. And Phil Lloyd does have writing credit on review as well as I'm sure a, a producer credit or something for being the uh, the originator of the idea. 
And, you know, it's good. I'm, I'm glad it took over a year now to get season two out there, but now season two is starting. So I recommend people, you know, check it out. And yeah, I'm, I'm very happy about it. Now, as you may or may not have noticed, Sean is not with us this week. He's actually camping with his family. So he still wanted to call in after watching review and, and share his thoughts. So let's take a listen to that. Good afternoon, Hitting Play podcast audience. This is your old friend, Sean. I am calling from the woods of deep northern New Hampshire. I am on vacation. But I wanted to call in and leave my thoughts about the latest episode, which was covering review. I was able to watch it up here, and it was fantastic. I really enjoyed the show. I think it's very well done. I'm surprised I haven't heard about it before. seems that's the way with Comedy Central shows, at least not hear about them until a couple years after they come on. A very funny pilot episode. Um, I love the concept of reviewing uh, life situations that are given to him without any hesitation. Uh, I thought it was hilarious, the beginning one about the um, stealing, how he was so concerned about stealing the malted uh, milk balls, and he went to armed robbery and then turned with shot, which was really funny. You know, people getting shot, I guess. And then how it all seamlessly went into being addicted to cocaine, which, I mean, there's comedy gold in that, but I did not enjoy that. And also, the, the problem one was very funny, and how it all tied in at the end, how it became an addict, and <laughs> had to go back to rehab yet again. Very, very funny. Very funny uh, actor. Character he plays is, is very, uh, just hilarious. I, I really enjoyed what he did with that, what he does with the show. So I look forward to watching it again. I didn't get a chance to watch the Australian version. This was based on just because I am in the woods. And YouTube and internet access is hard to come by. Um, thankfully, iTunes had the review for free. And I was able to download it on my iPad before I left. So it was fantastic. While sitting in a tent in my filth, I was able to watch it, which is fantastic. So wish you guys the best. I will be on the show hopefully next week. Whatever, whatever we do on the show, I will look forward to the next episode. My shout-out to all the moose and bears where I am. Um, please don't uh, maul me in the middle of the night. I would appreciate that. Goodbye, and best wishes from Norman, New Hampshire. All right, Sean. Thank you for that review. I hope you brought a lot of camping powder with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your own reviews, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com. And you can talk to us on Twitter at hittingplay. Now, Hamish, how can people find some of your great work? Uh, you can find me on Vine as Silent Hamish, uh, Instagram Silent Hamish, on Twitter as Silent Hamish. Uh, I really have to update my Tumblr account of Silent Hamish art at Tumblr. Uh, yeah, so basically just. Find me on the Twitters, on the Vines, on the Instagrams. I'm out there somewhere. And you'll be able to find me. And I wish I should actually just make one page to put all the stuff on, but I keep separating bits and pieces. You know how it is. Social media. Yeah. It's crazy. Follow this guy on Vine, everybody. He's great. And you can find me uh, on YouTube at Lilliputian22. I do some video game stuff, make some silly jokes. I'm under the same handle on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as well. My name is at MC and Friends there. And I'm on Vine. My name there is MC and Friends. There I do flip page animations, little humorous cartoons. 
Oh, and I just posted a new Vine recently, so I'm I'm trying. I'm trying to post. Yeah, I, I get the same thing. It's most like work got in the way. I think I, I posted yeah. one like a, a month ago. So, you know, it's, it's annoying that, you know, even though I, there are people who are still doing it, which is great, but unfortunately real life gets in the way and earning money is pretty important these days, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah, I get, I get caught up with mostly real life work rather than making cool little things. But, you know, I post mostly um, little sketches and little bits and pieces that I just work on either on, um, yeah, uh, Twitter or uh, on Instagram. And if you're a company out there, hire Hamish to do a, a sponsored Vine for you. He'll do a Vine commercial for you. Yeah, I haven't done one yet. God. Pay, pay this guy. Everyone else, is, everyone else is making money from the you know, Vine cash, selling themselves out. I mean, hey, if someone wants to hire me to do something for a thing, I will do that. Six seconds. Even though I think it'll probably take me like an hour to make something. An hour or two. Six seconds. Come on, people. Just pay me. <laughs> And speaking of five-star reviews, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Uh, it, it definitely helps us out. And if you do, we'll give you a shout-out on the show. And you can also tap to rate us five stars right there on our iTunes page. And anything you can do in that respect to help us, we definitely appreciate. Uh, this was great, Hamish. Thanks for coming back on the show. O always a pleasure. That's ah, no problem. I mean, uh, you know, it did take me a long time to go to my neighbor to figure out the toilet situation, but I finally did it. Do you guys actually still? Do you guys actually still need that review? Because I got a whole stack of information right here. Don't say no. I mean, I've, I've spent like months compiling this information. Oh no, no, I I, I want to hear a, a full, detailed statistical analysis of which way your drains rotate. Thank God, because I got a slideshow. I've also got a pantomime horse just to display. I thought it was going to work out pretty well. I've also got <laughs> some kids just holding up signs. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a lot of things, you know, I think that whole, uh, was it Brian Cox, you know, like, you know, he stands on a mountain, has cue cards. Don't worry, I've got it all sorted out. Don't worry, it's going to be a great presentation. Set aside eight hours, it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, we're not even at the halfway point of this podcast, folks. <laughs> Get ready for it. Eight hours of talking about flush. <laughs> yes, please, if you haven't listened to Hamish's first appearance with us, please go back to our very detailed review of... The Simpsons versus Australia, where we, we break down all the stereotypes and Hamish tells us all about Australian culture. We, we definitely got schooled. If I come back again, do I get like, you know, a, a trophy for like, hey, you came back. We allowed it to happen again. The third time, yes, you will get a participation trophy. Yes. Finally. <laughs> finally, podcasting. I can actually get rewarded for it. And your, your capital is Canberra. Yes. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I've <Wait>. been practicing. <laughs> I, like that. I, I was almost taken aback. Like, that is correct. What? I, I, oh, it's it's turning into a quiz show again, isn't it? We should uh, make one of those BuzzFeed videos that will go viral. That's like Americans trying to pronounce Australian cities. <laughs> yeah, you, you're going to have a little bit of an, an issue, especially when you get to Rotorua. It, 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 I have no comment. <laughs> I don't even want to see how that's spelled. It's, it's so, a real place. Get a... <laughs> you don't want to say it when you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have been Hamish, Lily, and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Podcasting. An exciting endeavor into the world of people's minds, or a waste of time that no one will listen to on the vast wasteland known as the internet. Podcasting. Four stars. <laughs> <laughs>
There we go. <laughs> That's great. <laughs>